Welcome back to Park It Here. I'm here with Aaron again. You haven't heard from us in a few weeks. I was under the weather. Uh, I think you probably heard on our last podcast that I had a slight tickle in my throat and maybe it was a little more hoarse than normal, but I am back. And we actually have a very entertaining uh, interview this week with Director Sevi Ghosh and uh, President and CEO of the Olmsted Parks Foundation, Layla George. Uh, Sevi has been with Metro Parks since August of 2015. Then Layla uh, joined the Olmsted Parks Conservancy earlier this year following the retirement of Mimi Zennial. Um They're both Olmsted Park nuts. Uh, they did a presentation combined along with Parks Administrator Tim Fulton in Indianapolis at the uh, National Recreation and Park Association Conference uh, in September. You'll hear from our discussion here in a moment that the presentation that they did was very in-depth. They have very interesting things to say about Frederick Law Olmsted and his legacy parks in Louisville and throughout the country. And we'll go ahead and let you uh, take a listen. All right. I am here with Layla and with Sevi. So, uh, guys, I, I wanted to know if maybe you would just run down maybe some of the experiences. Layla, I know you're from Louisville. You're a native. Yes. And Sevi, you're a relative newcomer. You've been here for three years. What is the reputation that the Olmsted Park system in Louisville has, I guess, around the country and then internationally? Well, I'll go first because the, one of the main reasons I applied for the job and stayed through the process and was excited to be hired here is the reputation of the Olmsted Parks, you know, and even though, uh, you know, it's the old system and so on, there are some challenges as with any other parks and recreation system, uh, but the Olmsted Parks definitely was the biggest draw, and not just the parks, but the six parkways too, so um, having worked with Olmsted Parks on the West Coast in Portland, uh, in the area I ran as a regional director, we also had three Olmsted Parks, so I'm, I mean, I was uh, familiar with Olmsted and his works and so on, so, or his company's works. So that's what drew me to the job. So definitely uh, has a big, big bearing on uh, selection of sites where people want to work as a professional. So. We have done some video interviews recently to celebrate our 30th anniversary next year. And an interesting point that's been made in numerous interviews is people who have moved here and have said repeatedly, I don't think people from Louisville appreciate these Olmstead parks in the way that people who have lived other places appreciate them. I think coming here from Columbus or from other parts in the Midwest or even um, kind of northeast parts of the country, you realize what a gem we have with this park system here. So I think Louisville people just grew up thinking that everybody has these great mm -hmm. park systems. I mean, I grew up on Cherokee Parkway, so I was right in the middle of it all, and I'm sure I took, you know, took it for granted. So it really is something special. So if, I think, of course, he's known as the father of modern landscape architecture, but I'm curious now that we've got two experts here on his, uh, mm -hmm. on his legacy and what his parks are about. What kind of things set an Olmsted design park apart from just a typical standard city park? I think it's the design and the layout of it. I mean, it's pretty much unmistakable. You know, if you look at it, park, uh, Olmsted design park, and you can pretty much tell whoever else designed it, if it's somebody other than Olmsted, that had a, Olmsted had a, a hand in it in some form, you know, whether through education or whatever else. It's basically that when you drive by the park uh, next to the road, you, you see a grove of trees usually. Uh, that usually blocks the view. Then you might have to walk 50, 60 feet, 100 feet, maybe 200 feet, depending on the city or the site. And then it opens up into a big meadow. And the meadow is not flat. Typically, it's rolling, uh, you know, and some flat areas. And it has evolved into flat areas now because of modern sports requirements or recreational requirements. But in the past, it used to be much more rolling hills and bumps, you know. Um, and so that's the piece. And then there's obviously landscaped areas and so on around buildings. Uh, 
and the buildings were also the, uh, of similar design. So keep that people always think about the greenscape, but the hardscape is also of a similar design. And just to kind of go back a little bit, uh, not to correct you, John, but... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, but uh, uh, Olmsted was is the father of American landscape architecture. Ah. Other landscape designers from Europe might take issue to the, uh, what he had said, because uh, Olmsted's ideas actually came from his first visit uh, to London, where he saw the two parks, Regent Park and uh, Hyde Park. You know? oh. And that's where he got the idea from, because people in London, where the sewage was flowing out into the streets, people wanted to take refuge from the smell out in front of their house, basically. Uh, and they would walk out to the park. That's why they all dressed, you know, formally and all that. So they would spend the afternoon or the evening in the park. And that's how this whole idea came about designing uh, a place to escape. And that's why he decided to put those trees out on the, the periphery so that it's blocked in uh, view, you know. So you could do picnics, other things out in the meadows. And if you see old pictures of Olmsted Parks or even Regent's Park and, and Heights Park in, in London, you see people laying out and lounging about, you know, uh, in, in their finest, also in Paris too. You know, um, yeah, the famous uh, painting by George Seurat. Mm -hmm. you know, that's that describes the, the, the group of the people that are the shapes on the river on the yep, riverside. Yep, yep, that perfectly describes uh, pretty much what a Homesteadian park would uh, be like. You know, so. That painting is actually in the Art Institute of Chicago. I was up there not too long ago, and I saw it there um, along with American Gothic. And not uh, to hop the conversation, but actually we have a full uh, setup of that sculpture pieces. So there are about 23 pieces mm -hmm. made of hardwood that we install and take out every year in Davenport, Iowa on the Mississippi River. Mm -hmm. on cool. parks. So Layla, I, I was going to ask you too, since we, we had talked about um, the fact that you, you were from here and you mentioned that you lived in the city of Cherokee Park. Do you have a favorite uh, park out of the 18 that are here? Um, do you have, is there a... Is there a distinguishing uh, uh, thing that you appreciate about these parks? And just overall, what are what have been your personal experiences in, in being in well, these parks? Well, I don't think I can say a favorite. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair. Um, but I will say that personally, I like the wooded landscape much more. I love hiking on trails in the middle of the woods. And to sort of go back to the point of an Olmsted design landscape and park and what that looks like, I was in uh, Central Park last week, and I was with somebody who worked for the Central Park Conservancy, mm -hmm. and we entered the park from the south side, and you go down a series of stairs, and he said, now, stop. He said, you know, we it's sunken here. And so you really do kind of go down these stairs, and you're, you know, less, you know, a quarter of a block away from the rushing New York streets, and you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. So it's immediate that you're transported into this totally different environment it's funny i was i was mentioning before we started how i had taken my daughter down to the big rock area mm -hmm. on a, on sunday and i had a similar experience there was a wedding going on in the pavilion and, and she was playing in the creek she was just kind of skipping some rocks across the creek and i look up and i think that's ridge road up there and what do i see but a tarp bus going right through the top up there um and i was just like wow that's that's pretty amazing but it's funny because that's a, a similar yeah. experience to what you're talking about i think yeah, where um, you just feel transported. Yeah. So what are some of the challenges? I don't know how new they all are. I know the, the Conservancy deals a lot with invasives. Mm -hmm. um, but what are some of the challenges that you guys have in, in park maintenance and dealing with these these jewels in our park system? I would say probably the same challenges that Mobile Parks and Recreation mm -hmm. has, which is not enough people, not enough money, yeah. right? Not enough time to do everything that needs to be done. and. For me, I will say that this job has sort of ruined my park experience because you you have a different set of eyes when you go through parks now and you see 
things that need to be done and vines growing up trees and trash that needs to be picked up and there's just you can never you can never do it all and right. that's probably the absolute most frustrating thing and i'll take a different angle to it so i think it's more of a balancing act mm -hmm. so i think the historical perspective is very important but I think uh, not to get caught up in that too much that, you know, everything has to be restored to the way it was originally built. Mm -hmm. I think we have to adapt to the time. So yes. I think that's always been a point of discussion that I think, uh, you know, as modern uh, needs arise, we need to adapt those older parks to the modern needs. And I think that's the easiest way I can put it there. Uh, so I, again, I think it's not about maybe not necessarily spending too much money, but how judiciously and strategically we spend those dollars sure. because dollars are scarce, you know, so mm -hmm. uh, So I think we can still get the bang for the buck and obviously without volunteers and without you know Diehards that really love our parks we could not do a lot of the things we do But how do we kind of exploit them in a nice way so to speak and you know, you know focus certain areas? You know in some areas, you know, maybe it's good to just leave it naturalized or wouldn't you know Homestead, uh, Homestead himself might not like it, but I think again it's adapting to the times and then redoing certain other things or amenities or structures and things like that. So. You mentioned the parkway system, Sevi. Um, I, I think there, you know, there, there are a lot of Homestead design parks across America and the world, but uh, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the parkway system here is, makes, is what really makes it very unique. Um, can you talk a little bit about what I guess his vision was for people traveling around Louisville? Um, I know that there were the big three parks that he started with, but talk a little about the parkway system and some of the show. As Lowell was growing, you know, and he came around that time, and Lowell in those days, from what I recall in reading, uh, was one of the largest cities, if not the largest city west of, say, the Allegheny Mountains or west of Pittsburgh, I guess, you know. And so people were flocking here and being on the river. Again, a lot of issues with, uh, you know, uh, trash collection, refuse, uh, you know, uh, other issues like that because people kept their animals with them too, keep that in mind. So everything is flowing around in that area. So the way these park systems were designed was to get people away from the downtown area or the main core population base into Iroquois, Seneca, uh, sorry, Shawnee and Cherokee uh, parks, you know. And so the idea was how do we convey those people over there in wide open roads, you know. So that's why the foot traffic was kept separate than the motorized traffic in those days with the carriages, you know, so that, that was in the middle and so on. And this, again, the partitions were built, you know, trees you know, lined up to uh, separate the crowds. A similar one, actually, and it's better described because it restored some of the old features, is in Buffalo, New York. Mm -hmm. uh, their a parkway system is pretty extensive, too. And, and it does go a little longer than ours. Ours are a little shorter in length mm -hmm. overall because it's been you know, trimmed over time. But Buffalo's are still pretty long, and you get a much more a better feel of how the carriages actually you know, saw that straight road all the way to downtown or vice versa. It's, it's pretty funny to, to think about that in a way. Um, to think of the area around Iroquois Park and around Seneca Park as suburbs. Um, oh, it was the I mean, of I mean the, yeah, those that was the boonies back then when those parks were designed, correct? Yeah. Um, so you guys are both ambassadors, just for not just for this park system, but also for you know the city as well. Um, I know you're you're carrying this message and you're going up to the National Recreation Park uh, Association conference in Indianapolis in a few weeks. Can you give us an idea of maybe what your presentation might entail and who you will be presenting in front of? Well, if I can take the first couple of minutes real quick, uh, NRPA you know, has done a great job of expanding their base as far as membership and so on. So as the membership has grown, they're, they're trying to, uh, I guess, encourage participation or numbers at the conference. In the past, it was strictly parks-related or recreation-related, the presentations of the sessions. Mm -hmm. 
And I noticed that so after coming to Louisville, I've been always pressing hard, and this is the first time it got accepted. It's something to talk about the historical preservation, and what better topic than, than Olmsted himself, you know. So our session is titled uh, Legacy of Fred. So mm. we're splitting it up into our three portions, uh, one as far as the day-to-day -day operations, and then Olmsted Parks Conservancy, and then us as the big picture in Parks and Recreation itself. So it's a, a hour and 15-minute presentation, and, you know, we are in a room with probably about 180 or so people, so it's kind of fun. We're looking forward to it. So. I'm sure Layla is looking forward to it too. So yeah, get I'm a different excited. experience with NRPA. So it will be different. So yeah. what what is a I guess when you're speaking to somebody who's not from Louisville, um, what do you tell them about the Olmsted Park system in Louisville? Well, I think a little bit of what Sebi mentioned earlier was painting a portrait of what the city looked like at the time. Mm -hmm. And so why were these parks built? Who were they built for? Um, and they really were built for the working class people who you know, couldn't escape to country estates. They needed a place within walking distance where they could get fresh air and see green space and be soothed. And so we've done some studies of the neighborhoods around our Olmstead parks, and it's really the same people. I mean, they look different, um, but it's still lower income people who um, need these parks within walking distance as an escape. So that's what I've found really interesting. There, you know, it's funny, the other thing is I was in Cherokee and I noticed that there was um, the, pro the, the project at Bonnie Castle is mm -hmm. underway and it yes. looks like it's getting kind of down towards the, the nitty-gritty towards the end. Um, you had a lot of exciting news at Victory Park. Can you kind of run through some of the, the things that are happening sure. with, with, with the park system that people might see that might be changes for the good coming up? Sure. So we've had four significant projects that we've been working on this calendar year. So one that we just finished was uh, new bathrooms at Boone Square. So that was an investment that we did with Louisville Parks and Recreation. We have been working on Bonnie Castle Hill in Cherokee, and we hope that'll be finished by the end of the month. That is gonna have a paved walking path that's up there. It's gonna have a new basketball court and a beautiful pavilion that we're really excited about that kind of looks over that valley there. So people have a place for picnics or music and things like that. So. That has sort of spread the activity out amongst, you know, across that whole hillside. The other project you mentioned, Victory Park. Mm -hmm. So we've done phase one, which was very well received in that neighborhood. Community's really excited and engaged about the turnaround that that park has seen. We're getting ready to start phase two this fall. It will be a new playground, spray ground, and a cover space for picnic tables there. So that's been fabulous project uh, pro progress in Victory Park and then the other big thing is Tyler Park which mm -hmm. is coming so uh, working with the neighborhood residents on that plan we've got one in place we're um, finalizing that right now so we hope to begin construction in the next few weeks on that but that's really exciting and um, it's been fun to work with everybody over there and see how excited they are yeah I know in Tyler Park in particular yes the the, the, the nearby residents have been very engaged in that project they um, have they, and they've been sort of on different sides of certain issues but um it's been uh, satisfying because we have worked with them explained sort of pros and cons of different things and they all came together and we our last meeting they said you know me personally maybe i didn't get every single thing i wanted but i think on the whole they're all very very happy with the way it turned out and we're all in agreement and totally supportive so um 
you know, it's it's their neighborhood and it's their park. And I think when it's your park and it's right outside your front door and you know it's not going to happen for another 10, 15, 20 years, you want it to be right. Mm -hmm. So it's good to have neighbors that care. Um, the, the, uh, <clears throat> the partnership that Parks and Recreation has with the Conservancy is very, very important. Obviously, you know, as a city agency, we, we can't do everything that we need to do with right. tax dollars by themselves. Um, I guess I just wanted to you both maybe to talk about how you see the relationship and maybe how it can can grow I guess in the future mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of activity in the nonprofit world with parks in, in the city of Louisville right now and I'm just curious if, if you guys could just maybe talk about how that partnership how you see it continuing well I think the partnership is very strong mm -hmm. number one mm -hmm. and I saw that during the early part of my process and before coming here and then after being here uh, the fact that, you know, I'll use some numbers, uh, $36 million in 29 years, that speaks for itself. And then also the actual, uh, you know, the drive that the board members have and making sure that the legacy stays you know, and continues. And then uh, if I can throw in another piece, the value of this legacy and so on, uh, is the fact that when 21st century parks were designed and built on the outskirts of the city, a lot of the, lot of the ideas of the tenants of the design came from Homestead and Design, mm -hmm. just to keep that in mind. And many other cities are adopting similar principles and doing new parks, especially new cities. Look at Carmel, Indiana, on the northern suburbs of Indianapolis. They built this huge park. I think it's about 350 acres. And it's still up and coming. It's not even fully built out yet. All the Homesteadian principles are there for you to see. It's amazing to see that. So, so obviously, the partnership is valued. In a, and you know, it's, I think it can grow and grow bigger right now, so, mm -hmm. and better. Um, I will say it's, it's been fantastic from my standpoint. There's a lot of communication across all different levels between the two organizations. Um, the finance teams meet, the operations teams meet. So that flow of communication ensures that everybody knows what they're responsible for. Um, and it's a partnership. I mean, there are times where we step in, I think it was after one of these big snowstorms and tons of trees came down and I was in a meeting and somebody said, you know, there's a big tree down at Seneca. Should we let forestry know? And Major said, they're swamped. Just get rid of it. You know, just move it. They can't do it right now. They've got thousands of trees out there. So just kind of stepping up and helping out when you can. I think that it's worked both ways with our organizations and that has really helped. Um, knowing that we're both coming with the end goal of having the parks be the best they can be. We have the same goals. And then all these other um, nonprofits, and you sort of alluded to some other park systems have different foundations or different models, 21st century parks. I think the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it has just increased the public's image of parks and what they can be and should be, and I think it helps everyone. And going back to that national presentation, so this will be the first time I've seen a presentation on Homestead at least in my lifetime of going to the NRPA conference over 25 years. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge thing. Again, telling the story of somebody that basically is the forefather of our profession. Without him, it probably would be no profession in parts of recreation. All right, Sevi, Layla, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sevi, and thank you, Layla. Uh, one interesting thing that is coming up very quickly, uh, Monday, October the 29th, uh, the Scenic Loop in Cherokee Park is going to be closed to vehicle traffic. It's going to be an opportunity for cyclists and pedestrians to enjoy walking and riding on the loop car-free. Uh, that's going to be from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. And Olmstead Parks Conservancy, along with the help of Rainbow Blossom, has planned an event called Hayride on the Hill. Um, that's going to be at the Behringer Hill near the Pavilion. 
Uh, there's going to be hay rides, live music, ice cream from the Comfy Cow, beverages, and including beer, by the way. So if you like a craft brew, want to go on a hay ride, come on up to Behringer Hill on Monday, October 29th. That's 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. It's going to be a, a real fun family event. We're hoping to, uh, you know, that, that it uh, becomes an annual tradition. So we'd like to thank uh, Rainbow Blossom, the Comfy Cow, and uh, I believe Value Market is also going to be providing food there. So we'll see you up there. Hope the weather's good. Thanks for listening. For Aaron Henry, this is John Ryder, and we'll see you again next time on Park It Here.